Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Thomas Lacks, a leading curator in the Museum of Modern Arts Department of Media and Performance. T is a scholar, writer, and curator specializing in black art and performance. In 2022, they organized an exhibition at MoMA titled Just Above Midtown, 1974 to the Present, in collaboration with JAMS founders Linda Good Bryant and Marielle Ingram. Additional collaborations at MoMA include Judson Dance Theater, The Work Is Never Done in 2018, and Unfinished Conversations in 2017. T is a contributor to publications including Prospect New Orleans, Art Forum, October, The Nation, T Magazine, and Vanity Fair, among others. They are on the board of Dan Space Project and the Jerome Foundation and teaches at the Institute for Curatorial Practice in Performance. They are on the advisory committee of Contemporary and the Landromat Project. Participant Inc. and Recess Assembly. Previously, they worked at the Student Museum in Harlem. A native New Yorker, T holds degrees in Africana Studies and Art History from Brown and Columbia Universities and is a PhD candidate in Performance Studies at New York University, where they are working on a project about mothers. They were the inaugural recipient of the Cisneros Research Grant Traveling to Brazil. Enjoy this episode featuring Thomas Blacks. T, welcome. Thank you for joining me. What a pleasure to be with you today, Phyllis. Thank you for having me. When did you discover your passion or interest in visual arts? I was lucky that as a kid, visual arts were something that my parents exposed me to. I think growing up in New York City within a multicultural, multilingual home, the way that my parents and, and my brothers and my extended family figured out who we were as a family who was kind of different from other families was often through the visual arts, be it going to museums or looking in books and magazines. And because of that, I, you know, for me, art felt like something that was part of part of everyday life. It wasn't something that was rarefied. It was something that was seen as kind of a, a necessity or um, at least something that would keep you alive. And so I would say that that's still my approach to visual arts now is that it's something that there are barriers to in our society and culture, and there are necessities for making it more accessible. And yet it still is something that is as a necessary part of how we feed ourselves, something that 
all people, you know, should have as part of their everyday life. And as a youngster, did you always want to study art? I did not always want to study art. I, when I was a kid, I was really interested in math and really interested in kind of thinking about the law, you know, come, come high school and, and college. And, you know, I think math was a way to take natural phenomena as they existed in the world and be able to describe them in a very specific and often abstracted language. So in a way, what I do now in art and, and curating and writing about art is actually not so dissimilar from what I was interested in terms of math. You know, how do you take the unknowability of how a wave in the ocean moves and describe it? You know, that's, I think, on the one hand, what math does, but also what, what good art does, perhaps with, you know, more open-endedness in the space of art. And in terms of the law, you know, I think likewise, art is a space in which there are a set of historical precedents that one must learn in order to figure out how to break them anew. So I, when I realized that, you know, being a lawyer was less interested in the breaking part, I kind of veered away towards a space that had a little bit more openness to that kind of insurgent energy. So how did you decide to be a curator? I graduated from college and was seeped in theory and scholarship and knew I wanted to stay close to all of those big ideas that could float with total and unrestricted possibility. And I also knew that I wanted to work directly with people. I think that being in relationship, having deep and ongoing friendships with the people who I work with has always been how I not only derive pleasure from my work, but also how I understand that change gets made and how meaning gets made. And so to me, I wanted to find a place where I could bring those two things, this total and utter throwing of oneself into the realm of the impossible that to me, theorizing in whatever form that took might occur. And on the other, being in the very material ground of trying to figure stuff out with other people. And curatorial work, it seemed to me, was at that sweet spot where you could invent a world anew every four or five months when you make an exhibition happen. But ultimately, that world had to figure out a way to move within the conditions as they existed and with others try to reinvent them so that that invented world could find a real home. And what type of relationships do you like to have with artists? I go all in, which is to say, I believe in long-term relationships. Even if you're, you know, polyamorous and you are in deep and ongoing relationships with multiple artists, those relationships that I've entered into in collaboration with artists are, are ones that have pretty much lasted me the rest of the time that I have on this earth. And what that means to me is that those relationships are not transactional. They supersede the exhibition that you're working on, the institution that you find yourself in. And ultimately, you are signing up as a curator. I am signing up to believe in the vision of that artist and and belief means questioning you know part of belief is doubt and that doubt and that space of mutual interrogation comes first and foremost out of love that there is a fundamental 
belief in the world that artists are not just visioning, but actually making good on through the things that they create. And that it's my responsibility to help them to figure out how to bring other people into that. And so the various occasions to make that happen are wonderful because they, you know, they give you a reason to meet up with people and try to figure stuff out in the real world. But those are just occasions that are ultimately held by the ongoingness of a personal and intimate relationship. What would you say are some of the greatest challenges that artists are facing right now? That is a great question. I mean, I think for Black artists in particular, there's no doubt that in the United States in this moment, there is a want, even we'll call it a need, on behalf of those folks who work in museums to have the work of artists of African descent in their collections, in their galleries, on their stages for public programs, etc. I think the challenge therein is in what ways does that not just serve artists today because i trust that it will but how does it actually do more than that which is to say clear the ground prepare the ground and seed the ground for future generations of artists working within that lineage and tradition to have the resources that they need to be able to make whatever it is that they want to make. And I make that distinction because I don't think it's a given that using the museum apparatus as it's currently set up to support artists of African descent today necessarily means that you are changing the conditions for future artists. I you know, can think through some specific ways in which there's more that's necessary, but I do think that Ultimately, it's the work of communities coming together to figure that out as a collective that is not predicated on the museum's interests in their work. And so I think that that distinction is one that I hear from artists, but it's also one that, in my own experience, feels totally vital for what it is that is going to make this moment of investment in Black art something that actually produces a different calculus, which is to say entanglement with the stakes of Black creativity. And so that ultimately is is a proposition. It's a prompt. It's, a, from me, a, a challenge to those people who, who I'm in relationship with and, you know, a challenge that has been given to me by the people who I love and adore because we can't do that work as one. We can't do that work as one individual, as one curator, as one institution. We do that work with other people. And that's a lesson that I learned from, from Linda Gabriel and the community of artists around just above Midtown the gallery from the 1970s and 80s. On that note, let's talk about Jam. You worked on that a long time. I'm sure there were several challenges and a lot of joys. Share with us that experience. I love that way of asking the question, Phyllis, because experience is definitely what just of Midtown, the gallery that was started by Linda Gabriel in 1974 here in New York City and lasted until 1986 and well beyond in, in the minds and hearts of the people who showed there and worked there was after, was the experience of being with art and making art with other people. And that ultimately what the space of experiencing art was, was not 
separate from the creation of that work itself. And Linda and the artists and the colleagues who worked at JAM practiced that in wild ways. That meant that there were moments where for long periods of time, there weren't exhibitions at this gallery. And instead, it was a space for rehearsal. It was a gallery where oftentimes nobody knew what art was going to be shown, let alone, let alone made, until hours before an exhibition or performance would open. And I think that sense of not knowing that sense of openness to possibility is, in my own experience, without a parallel in terms of spaces that present art. Ultimately, spaces that present art want to know out of a generosity of spirit, but to embrace this sense of openness of following artistic intuition is ultimately what Jam was. And you can imagine that trying to recreate that within the halls of the Museum of Modern Art today was a challenge. But it was a challenge that, as you so nicely paired challenge with joy, resulted in joy because ultimately working with Linda, she went straight into the challenge, as she does, um, to say, how do we take what is nearly impossible and approach it by having a good time? And I think because every stage of the exhibition was pursued in that way. How do we bring joy into this experience? People who worked with us became our collaborators. So every single member of that team, people who are not necessarily always asked to bring their creative self to their job, were asked to co-make this exhibition as a work of art with us. And so because of that, what was our greatest challenge became a way for us to create another set of experiences that I think when visitors came into the show, they could feel. At least that's what folks who I talked to responded to, that they felt like they were in the process of something getting constructed, which is ultimately what we hope to extend forth from the jam days into the present. As you observed those viewing the exhibition, did you feel that the purpose and impact that you wanted to have was effective? Did you see it on people's faces that they appreciated and were in awe of the exhibition? You know, it's it's hard as a as somebody who makes something to fully understand how it hits, what it means to other people, because one, it's hard to see yourself. It's hard to look in the mirror and recognize that. I think on the other hand, it's also there's something that remains unknown. There's a, there's a surplus, there's a remainder. There's, you know, whether it's in time or just how one's own intention lands differently. But I guess the ways that I would answer your question nevertheless is to say that hearing from artists, artists who are both in the show and artists of other generations who kind of have followed in the, the traditions and belief systems of jam, to hear from them how some of the work resonated with them is the way that I've been able to receive the response and the possibility of what we did together in making this show. And I think the way that people describe that to me was through specific works of art that they understood the task that Jam took up being a space for Black art in an expansive way, 
in the 1970s when nobody else who was in the white art world where Jam set up shop on 57th Street wanted to see that mission come to fruition. The way that people, artists, who came to see the show could understand that value system and that mission taking place within specific works of art and that artists themselves were able to articulate those stakes and change those stakes through the world that their artworks built and then that jam supported to me felt like it was what i had hoped to do which is to say follow artists and do the most basic thing that i do as a curator which is try to show works well so that you kind of as a colleague a curator colleague unji ju says you know our job is just to sweep out the zen garden effectively so that somebody else can come in and have the experience that is this kind of spiritual connection as if nobody was there to set it up but that they have this kind of unmediated access to that source. And so I think what I mean by that is that the artists in the show provided an alternative to the forms of extraction as it existed then and it exists now. And I think people were able to see that worldview and take it with them in whatever ways remain to be determined, but were able to pick that up and bring that with them from the exhibition. Do you feel Black art can be defined? It's fun to try to define it because it's undefinable. I like to say black art is da-da-da so that you can say, wait a second, and da-da-da. And so ultimately, I would say the answer is no, but the best way to get to no is to die trying. So for example, black art is how we use the resources we have available to us to create what we need, as Linda Good Bryant has said. Black art is an ongoing search for beauty in the face of the terribleness of everyday life. Black art is what we do when we are together. Black art is none of the above. Black art remains to be determined by futurity and our insistence that we find ourselves in that future. Black art is a historical category from the 1970s and 60s that no longer serves us. Black art is Phyllis. You you fill in the blank. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> Amen. What do you feel is the role of the collector? That's a great question because I think in this moment, to go back to your question around the challenges for artists and Black artists in particular today, I do think that the collector plays a, a really pivotal role here. Collectors have been imagined as a group of people whose responsibility is through their shepherding and stewardship of specific works of art into what they construct as a kind of ensemble creates in relationship to museums and other institutions that take on as their role the stewardship over the long term of tradition and bearing forth the kind of material care of works that are within their within their holdings and all that is good and true but i do think that there's another element that underlies that that goes unsaid that many collectors who i love and i know who come out of supporting black artists believe in which is that they go to bat for artists you know ultimately before the artwork is made after it's finished the role of the collector is to be somebody who 
materially and spiritually supports artist livelihood. And I think that distinction is one in this moment as the work of Black artists becomes more widely collected by different kinds of institutions and different kinds of individuals, something that should be maintained and proliferated from the Black tradition to the world more broadly so that we're not just attending to the works that Black artists make, but we're actually giving possibility for that work to continue by sustaining their lives. What do you feel is the role of the trustee? The role of the trustee is like any good leader and tradition bearer to ask precise and responsive and generous questions to the folks who are leading and also doing the work on the ground at museums. So not necessarily to set the agenda of what shows should be happening or even necessarily who should be staffed at the museum, but asking those people who are in the positions to make those decisions, super clear, cogent, and ultimately supportive questions that come from their experience and their knowledge, which is immense and an incredible resource in all senses of that word. But to do that in a way that, you know, Socratically poses the question that those people who are ultimately responsible for the sets of decisions around how art and artists can be supported are responsible to. And so, yeah, I think I I feel lucky that at, at MoMA, that is very much the kind of culture that I've been fortunate to to engage with and and embrace and you know i think um there's always possibility for deepening those relationships to be able to through trust have deeper questions rise to the surface but first and foremost i, I do think that you know that kind of elaboration of, of of curiosity in rigorous and meaningful ways is is the role of the trustee and what is it that you're excited about now I am excited to be speaking with you. Your curiosity is contagious and the way that your own curiosity feels at once unbridled in the questions that you have brought to us and also incredibly focused on how we can show up to make good on the sense of possibility that we're living in makes me excited. And I, and I have to say, you know, I think, I think the work that we do starts from this kind of, the thing that you're doing, this kind of engagement, this sense of being in relationship to one another. And I'm just eager to see how that plays out in whatever conversation happens to happen next, whether it's with a stranger I meet on the street or a lecture I go to later this afternoon. How do we take this spirit of inquiry and really have it filter into all aspects of our life? What do you feel is the purpose of art? Ooh, ooh, I love this question. I think art is how we pass on what we know to other people. It's how other people have taken their own wisdom and universal doubt, which go together, and found some kind of formulation, some compositional mechanism by which to communicate that to others. And if you are so lucky as to have had somebody share that with you, and I think all of us are so lucky to have had that if you know we avail ourselves to that um you know we get the incredible chance 
to do the same for somebody else. And, you know, ultimately, yeah, art is this kind of series of intuitions and chance encounters that get materialized and dematerialized in various forms that put us in this relay, in this chain um, with those who have come before us and those who have who will come after us and allows us to be in that sense of interconnectedness. What do you feel is the role of the artist? I think the role of the artist is to get to not know how they engage with that very lofty formulation I just made, that ultimately what to do with what's come before, how to generate something for what will come after is something that you, despite all of your training in all the ways that we get trained from our family of origin, our chosen families, various forms of education and formations professionally, that you get to take all that good intuition that's built up and give yourself a reprieve from knowing how to step into the circle. And from that space, another kind of knowledge will come through. Trusting in that. I really appreciate it your time. I know you're a busy person. I have one more question for you. And that is, how do you want to impact the art world? Big question for last, Phyllis. (laughs) I hope it's through through my relationships with people, through my relationship with artists and, and colleagues and all of those, you know, trustees, collectors, strangers, visitors who make up this funky ecology that we're in. And I hope that the the tone of those relationships is is ultimately one that is open to flow, flux, process, that we build enough trust with one another for us to try things different. And as things work and as they don't work, we are generous with what information comes through in that process. So I hope to be in it, get in the mud and be, you know, a person who people want to get in the mud with. Well, thank you for the work you do. The jam was uh, amazing, informative, educational, and I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate the time you shared with me today. Thank you for being in this community, for being a pillar of our community and creating a chance for us to ask questions that have not yet been formulated in the ways that you are describing. I appreciate you, Phyllis. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You as well. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.